Hello. Welcome to Hanging Question Marks, a conversation podcast. Uh, this is episode seven, a uh, conversation with Ryan Watson that was recorded on September 5th, 2020. Ryan is an activist um, and a member of Socialist Alternative, a um, an activist organization organization centered around um, advancing socialist ideals and really engaging the working class in that activism. Um, you can learn much more about them on the site. Uh, the link is in the show notes and we, we talk about it in the, uh, on the podcast as well. So this is a fairly wide ranging conversation. Um, Ryan is you know has a very interesting background has been involved in activism for a long time now um we discussed the relationship between you know the economy and social issues so kind of how economic justice really can't be separated from racial justice and social justice more broadly um we talk about electoral politics a bit we talk about the various wars that the U.S. is involved in. We talk about um, socialism from a long-term uh, historical view and looking at the, you know, the relationship of socialist pasts or socialists past to socialists present. Um, it's a very interesting uh, conversation. Ryan is a very um, well-read person on on these issues. So, in addition to his uh, work as an activist, he also, um, you know, is very thoughtful and very knowledgeable knowledgeable about the different theories that are the basis for these things and the history of it. So, um, I think this conversation is one that we all need to be having in some form. And what I mean by this conversation is the conversation about different economic systems, what we want out of our economic system, what ways we want to change it, what ways do we want to change the our social systems, our political systems. Um, it's certainly not a secret to anybody that the United States is undergoing a great upheaval right now, both economically and socially. Um, 50 million people or so have lost their jobs since the COVID pandemic hit. Um, and the, the, the social issues I don't even need to get into. And, you know, again, we discussed them on the podcast itself during the conversation. So, um, so I think this is a very topical issue. I think it's something we need to be talking about more. Um, and I think Ryan is a, a great person to have that conversation with. I realize not everybody can have a conversation with him, but hopefully this can, this can lead people who are interested to learn more about some of these issues to various resources, um, to check out the Socialist Alternative website and um, to find out ways that they can get involved. So uh, without further ado, here is my conversation with Ryan Watson. 
hi Ryan. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we were introduced by a mutual friend. We yeah. have only spoken briefly before this. Uh, for people who might have listened to podcasts before, uh, our mutual friend is Courtney, who was on episode three. So mm-hmm. um, if you're interested in in um, in in hearing that one, uh, you can go back. It was the August 9th episode. Um, so Ryan, the the way I gather, you know, Courtney is through a group, um, an organization called the Socialist Alternative. Is that yeah. right? Socialist Alternative. Uh, we're both members of that organization. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so I thought I would start the conversation since that's kind of how you two, not kind of, it is how you two met and mm-hmm. know each other. Um, I thought maybe we could just start by you telling the listeners and me a little bit about what the organization is and what it does. Um, before we started the podcast, um, I was looking at the site and um, I have my own thoughts, but I'd like to hear you sort of talk about it and um, and tell the listener. Yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> I, I guess... Um... In the most acute way, it is a organization that uh, sees capitalism as a large source of the the ills in society. I mean, uh, we're not saying it's a blanket statement by any means, um, but when you have an, uh, a society built on inequality, um, where you can have a man who's worth 200 billion and you have children who die of, you know, uh, malaria with this a cure is like less than a dollar i think it's like 80 cents or something like that um it's hard for us to conquer some of the other issues such as like the racism the sexism the homophobia um because the reality is um if you're not able to feed your kids you know it's very difficult to kind of dwell on trying to build a better society um so i I, yeah i think that would i would say that's what the large basis is on it, but we're an activist organization. Um, so we do struggle for, um, so, you know, social reasons as well. You know, we, we struggle in an anti-racist manner. We struggle in an anti-sexist manner, um, but we're also theoretical. Um, and we, you know, so we read and we, you know, center ourselves around uh, working class people because we see them as the, as the, uh, the vehicle to a better world. Great. So I mean, that's a good summary. And I, I'd like to get much more into that because I was looking at the site and um, I find it interesting for reasons I'm kind of going to wait to get into. Um, uh, well, I'll say this first, just to kind of set the stage. Like, it's amazing when I look at, so I was looking at the what we, you know, stand for yeah. list of things. And I would say for probably 90% of the U.S. population, most of these would not be controversial. Right. Um, probably, you know, at, at least half, maybe 60% of the things on the list. And we'll get into that a little bit, but first I kind of want to set the scene and, and get the listener and myself to know a little bit more about you. Um, so how long have you been involved and do you know how long the organization has been around? I was looking at the website just a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. and I saw that, that, uh, the socialist alternative was the organization that was involved in the Seattle mayoral race, I think in 2013. And I believe the website was saying that was the first socialist mayor that was elected in the U.S. I don't. I may have the year wrong, but I know it was a pretty recent election. So, 
2013 wasn't mayor it was a city council oh yeah that's right that's right yeah equivalent right. to our alderman yeah but uh 2013 yeah we 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 were successful in winning a seat for shama which would have been the first time a socialist won in seattle in 100 years um but uh our organization has been around for i want to say 30 30 years Okay. Uh, I think the founding meeting was in 80, maybe 89, uh, which would actually put it at more than 30. I, I had to confirm on that the, the exact year, but um, many, uh, it's, it's, it's a fairly new organization. I mean, one of the, one of my, uh, the, the person that when I joined the organization is actually one of the founding members of the, uh, the U S branch. And then there's a larger, um, international organization that we're in, we're sister thinkers with that has been around for, I don't even know, maybe, maybe the fifties. Got it. And, and so just so the listeners know, the people who have listened before know I'm in Chicago, probably based on some of the conversations and Alderman. Yeah, for sure. You're also in Chicago. Um, so, uh, okay. So about 30 years and then how long have you been involved? So I joined in 2014. Um, I would say that I was a socialist in 2010 was when I came to kind of socialist conclusions. And, and um, you know, I kind of indulged in like reading and, 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 and like the, the understanding it for about two, three years. And I think in 2013, I just was like, all right, well, you know, if they say, the, uh, uh, you know, theoretical is important, but so is the actual, you know, applied element. And so I just was like ready to, 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 to get involved. And, and it was through Shama, like, uh, her winning in 2013. Um, I, I saw that when they won the $15 minimum wage in Seattle shortly afterwards, uh, within six months of, you know, her winning her campaign, I saw that, um, but it was still very much far away from me. But then when she was like critical of, of uh, Barack Obama's um, State of the Union of 2014, and I saw some of the critiques that I was just raising. And at that point, I was just on Facebook, you know, <laughs> being critical of Obama. What if, you know, like that doesn't mean anything. But then I seen the video of her, you know, being a, an elected official being critical of, you know, the first black president, which was like unheard of, um, and, but I it, it resonated with me, and and some of the critiques were the same. I was just well, like, it was it was it was unheard of on the left, you know, side maybe, yeah, but right. certainly, <laughs> certainly the Republicans were going after him nonstop. Um, Precisely, critical not even, from the left. That's but not even, but, but, you know, Republicans weren't even really going after him for policy things. They were no. calling him a socialist and <laughs> saying yeah. he wasn't born in the United States, et cetera. There was, there were policy disagreements, but we can get into that later, but I just wanted for to sure. get a correct. Sure. No, you're absolutely right. That is an important, important element. I don't even, right. I wasn't even paying attention to the right. So yeah, like, right, yeah. right. No, I, a leftward critique. I way. completely get it. I have a sickness where I where I kind of know what they're doing at all times and uh, <laughs> keep an eye on it more than is healthy for me. So I yeah, I'm very familiar with everything they were doing uh, and have been for the past 20 years. Um, 
Okay, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. That was just no, funny. no. I don't, I don't envy you. <laughs> I have to say, I, I don't envy the fact that you've been paying. I I have now. Don't get me right, wrong. Right. I don't. I don't envy the twenty years of doing it. At, no, at some point you um. I think it's. I think it's very interesting to kind of watch what um the, the you know the far right is doing in right. the country because um when certain things happen in politics and you're much less surprised than the general population. And you kind of know, you're like, oh yeah, well, they've been talking about this for 30 years. On yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is not, you know, this is not news guys. Yeah. You, you have know. to be aware of what's going yeah. on over there because. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, sorry, I interrupted you. Okay. So she critiqued um, Obama after the state of the union. You were saying that was in 2014 that you saw that. Yeah. Um, from the left. Yeah. And, from the left. And, right. and, and, and at the end she, she made the call to join. So um so the first thing I did is, like you, I went on the web page. I looked at a couple of the political things I agreed with, but also I, you know, I looked at um, the review of Twelve Years a Slave. Um, that was it was the movie that had just came out, and I had my, you know, I had my gripes uh, about it, and I, but I watched it, and 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 I thought the review was was balanced, and but it also provided for me was. Um, movies and book suggestions that talked about how um, how enslaved people fought, you know, fought for themselves. And I thought that was, imp that was important for me. So once I, once I did that, I just reached out and um, here we are. That's interesting that that's how you got into it. And so um, I'd like to discuss the organization and your involvement in it, but I kind of like to take a step back and then just kind of go before that and get a little bit more background on you. So, um, so when you first got interested in socialism, it sounds like you you were around like your mid, early to mid twenties, something yeah, like that. Yeah. So I'm 35 now. <laughs> so that would have been, I, I would have said, I would say arguably it was probably around 27 that I think I started like, uh, kind of second guessing everything. I would say. Um, no, that can't be true. Um, I started to, so Obama was 2008. Obama was the, was the last Democrat that I voted for. Um, and then, uh, by 2010, I was, um, I was pretty much, uh, uh, uh what do you call it? Disgruntled with the both with the two party system in full. And I think the, the I think the one that I attribute the uh, the the biggest changer in terms of me being like okay forget this party the Democratic Party it would be the National Defense Authorization Act of 2010 uh, where uh, where be, I think it was you could it was an extension of the Patriot Act in the sense that you could arrest people that would be perceived as like. Um, terrorists of the state, even domestically, without having to tell them why you're arresting them or the people around you. And uh, yeah, I think that, that for me, like that was a, and the way that it was executed, I think it happened New Year's Eve uh, at night, you know, at like 10 o'clock at night or something like that. It was just something about it. It just really smelt really terrible. And I was already connected with people who had better analysis with me uh, than me on like Twitter. Um, and 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 like they were like breaking it down, and and you know first I my approach is 
I don't just agree with people just because I respect them. Um, I want to, you know, read what they're, and this is the approach that I push for most people, you know, people like to find confirmation bias and in terms of like uh, conspiracy theories and stuff like that. And I had a history of that, but uh, after some point, I was just looking for stuff that was substantiated by uh, resources that I could actually look into. So that's interesting. Yeah, it's always interesting for me to hear kind of like what focuses people or, you know, gets people to start thinking a different way. Obviously, it wasn't just that one thing, you know, but no, but, it, but there it, are it, always there, there is there is sometimes that one thing that kind of is like the straw that breaks the camel's back or just sure, something sure. that kind of you're like, I don't even get what this is. Like, why on earth is this happening? Or, you know, and that no, I mean, my, father, you. my father was in, uh, an alderman in 1994 and the Democratic Party um, basically came down on him when he went against Mayor Daley. So that is probably a larger element, but that was kind of like, you know, I, that was when I actually started to be like politically involved in things and like started to take things into consideration. But I mean, there was a, there was a history of analysis that, that led up to that point. Uh, like you said, Occupy was pretty solidifying too, but that happened after the point. Yeah. So, um you said your father was an alderman. So have you, did you grow up in Chicago? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, born and raised on the white, uh, west side of Chicago. Yeah. Okay. Um, and obviously you're still here. Uh, have you lived in Chicago since you were, you know, born basically, or did you move anywhere and come back or? Yeah. I went away for undergrad. And, okay. And, and I came back not far. It was still in, in, in Illinois, but, but, uh, I got away. Okay. So you're very familiar then with, I'm sure like Chicago politics and which I'm only slowly getting familiar with because I've only been here seven years or so. So I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would say that it, I, the, the basis of my understanding of Chicago politics is within the last six years for sure. Yeah. Cause I mean, I think prior to that, you know, it was kind of a, just a, I think what well, most people feel like politics are so so much away from them, yeah. you know, in terms of like, you know, I, I look I look at the, uh, the 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 college students who are like they plan on going to a pro, you know, one in five college students plan on going to a protest, you know, uh, that was after the first Black Lives Matter iteration, and 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 oh, you know, stuff like that, and I'm like, man, you know we really should have been protesting at that point. You know, I graduated into a literal recession. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, that wasn't a thing for us, you know. But I think, like, Occupy and Black Lives Matter and all of those things have changed the face of college life that I didn't, you know, I didn't have. It wasn't even a remarking discussion. I think I remember having a conversation with a teacher about hopes of Obama but that's about it. Like nothing really much more than that. Yeah. It's, it's interesting you say that. Cause I was in college. My first year of college was when um, my first month of college was when nine 11 happened. Mm. And um, I've mentioned this on another podcast. I remember um, I think I was, I was very politically naive at that point. And I remember when, um, you know, most people were in favor of, uh, you know, bombing and invading Af 
Afghanistan after that had happened. And I remember just thinking, I was confused. I was like, why are we bombing that country? Like it was a bunch of guys that hijacked planes. Like, what is that? Why are we in, like, why are, how does that justify invading a country? I I don't know. You know, it it wasn't like, oh, they should have done that or whatever, but it was like, okay, it was, it was a horrible (laughs) crime, but what is, I just didn't understand, you know, from a political perspective, like, how does that justify invading an entire country and bombing it and all this stuff? Um, And I don't remember really any protest against that whatsoever. And then when the Iraq war happened I w- or began, I was still in college because that was only two years later. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember very minimal protests. Um, I feel like there was an anti-war movement. There was. I mean, I think like worldwide, it was at that time the biggest protest, maybe the only protest like before a war had even be, you know, Gotcha. started right mm-hmm. um but i'm just saying like on my campus i don't remember myself i'm not saying there weren't other people who were active but i don't remember myself you know seeing it or or being aware that that kind of stuff was really happening um even though i, I was much more aware than in two, you know the a couple of years before i suspect that as far as the anti-war movement that has existed before that point it must have been hard to navigate a situation where like the actual damage had 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 happened on the US land, you know, sure. like and so like as we know, uh that must have changed the consciousness of like what it would even, you know, in terms of who would be interested in actually taking it up, you know. Right. And so like they probably had to deal with some level of like okay, we are anti-war still, but like people that wouldn't typically be, you know, center, center left who kind of agree with us might be, you know, very much not that because, because of its role of killing so many people on American land. But I, I think like, honestly, you know, a lot of people probably have that sentiment of like, what, like, is there enough information here to even justify this going to this other thing? Cause like, it seems like a rogue group of people. How can, how does it, how is it attributed to this? Right. Yeah. Right. So I, I, so, I suspect that that was the consciousness that you're putting forth is probably. Well, the- I mean, honestly, I remember during the primaries, I think late last year, the, was it the Washington post that published the, the Afghanistan, you know, papers, right it was kind of the history of the U S involvement in uh, there over the past 20 years. And basically it was like the Pentagon papers, but for the Afghanistan war. Okay. And it was a non, I mean, it was a story for like a day and the ba- and then the, the, the media hasn't really talked about it since, but it was basically military documents and executive planning documents that just show that for 20 years, um, generals and other high-ranking military people had just been telling presidents like this is a disaster what are we doing here we Mm -hmm. should leave um which is basically what the pentagon papers said too um but yeah but nobody but it was a story for like five minutes and (laughs) it's like the democratic primaries were going on that was more fun to cover you know um anyway um okay so getting back on track so 
Um, so tell me a little bit, because so people are going to be thinking like, okay, socialism, you know, that's in the U.S. Like we could call that the S word for, that, you know, like um, uh, what, so you mentioned kind of that speed that um, the um, NDAA, which that was something that kind of pushed you over the edge to sort of being like, yeah, something's not right. I, you know, um, but the, you know, these things don't happen in isolation. Obviously, the 2008, you know, the crash that was happening 2007, 2008, 2009 obviously had some impact. I mean, it had, it had an effect on everybody, I think, in some way. Um, what were things before then? Were there other things in your childhood? It sounds like your, it sounds like your family had been involved in, uh, you know, politics. So were there other things that kind of... Um, I guess, did, did you start out sort of on the left and then you moved into socialism or did you, were you more of like a traditional, you know, center person and then certain events led up and slowly moved you to the more left wing? Yeah, I, w- I, w- I would say like the dominant philosophy of of our like our country, I would say, is liberalism, right? So I think I was, I was a liberal. Um, I was raised in a very liberal kind of family. Uh, my father, like I said, he was a Democrat, um, alderman in Chicago on the West Side. But I mean, I think because the of, of, of you know my my parents always had like a kind of a racial analysis, right? Um, and kind of the thing that brought him to uh, to, to 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 draw out like a critique of of, of Richard Daly, uh, the, the the second, the younger, um, was he uh, he wanted to build a I think a water distribution center on the west side of Chicago, which would cost about two million dollars, and he wanted to like effectively hire people from the community to be able to come there uh, and and work there or whatever. So. He saw it as a as a jobs program that could actually improve the quality of life of people of the of a community, and that you know this is important because I think I think on average that in the '90s that was like sixteen thousand dollars was the average income of the, of the twenty seventh ward that he was at, and so you know he wanted to do that, and this was back when aldermen were only making fifty thousand dollars themselves. Like now they make one hundred twenty thousand um, dollars, so that I think that's a part of you know the something that happened after that fact. But um, so my, he did that. And, uh, and instead of doing that, I think Daly gave six or $8 million. So three times the amount that we asked for to, to do the water distribution here to someplace in, in um, like Cullerton or something like that in some North side city. And his analysis was, you know, black and white, you know, that was a white neighborhood. This is a black neighborhood. And I think he's like partially right, you know, uh, but I think the part that he didn't, uh, that he kind of missed was not only was it black, but it was also a lower income area, which means less likely to vote because of the history of, uh, of, of feeling like politics are, doesn't affect your life either way, which, I mean, if you look at the, the quality of life of, of those communities, they, they aren't wrong. You know, these people aren't, aren't um, incorrect in their analysis, be it black or white. Um, aldermen, you know, be a Democrat or Republican, not that Republicans ever are able to have a seat in this city. Um, 
and actually that's more of a, a critique of the single party system that runs this sh Chicago, um, their life doesn't change much from election to election. So why, why, why vote? Not, I mean, I guess you could try and use the shaming element of, of what their forefathers and for, but like, that's also so far gone. I think even from those who even say, use that as a kind of like shaming method that they don't even actually uh, analyze why they did it. It was a tactic, you know? Um, also, a part of that tactic wasn't just the voting, but it was also because they wanted to be on the juries when you had a jury of, uh, of your, um, what, what's the statement for judge? Jury of your peers. Or, your peers, right. Yeah. So they wanted to be involved in the, in, the, in the peers jury, to be able to be on the jury for their peers. And like that was tied to voting. And so like that's often forgotten about that importance element because they were actually trying to, you know, uh, have like legitimate trials for people in, under the court of law. But uh, so like those things are not just, so if the people who are advocating with those demands don't actually know that history, people who are opposed to it or, or unaware to, of it and don't, don't vote have probably even less of an understanding. So, um, you know, so like uh, that was around um, they were, they dropped about $500,000 in the nineties to get my father out of his seat. Um, the current alderman is the alderman that took him out of his seat, you know, and here we are 15, 20, almost 20 years later. Um, and still that ward is like, I think worth $22,000 on average. Um, that's the average income of the people of that ward. So that, you know, that's a testament of what I've seen. But I think all that did was less give me like a left basis. But it, it what it did give to me is that politics should be working for me. You know, I'm not I'm not the person that's saying like, well, politics don't don't work for people like me. So ergo, I'm forego it. And I, that's that's the sentiment of a lot of black folks um, that are not like middle class. Um, so, you know, I, I think I, I, I said it should be. And so while I'm looking into these ideas and like, I think, like I said, I was kind of into conspiracy theory for a little bit, and but I, I wanted to be able to su substantiate the stuff that I would talk about. So I kind of moved out of that. I think that's a thing that a lot of people, when you feel like you don't have a voice, you like indulge in these things. We could see this is very true under this pandemic. But uh, I just kind of moved to a direction where I wanted to be in the know of like things happening around me. And I think after like taking an honest look at the Democratic Party, taking an honest look at the Republican Party um, and seeing the role of like money as it, as it was involved in the quantitative, you know, uh, quality of, the, of, of working people's lives, particularly black people were, was my, my interest at the time. And then also, I think the left-wing actually element came into reading Huey Newton, reading Malcolm X, reading Martin Luther King, reading Ella, Ella uh, Fish, uh, not Fitzgerald, Ella Baker, reading so many people that were historically um, uh, like what you would, like their history had a, a shown that they were full of integrity and like their conclusions were very much, you know, the same. So democratic socialism was a, was a like Martin Luther King perspective. Um, Malcolm X says, um, 
if you met someone, a white person who doesn't have a racism and their philosophy is, you know, not, not racist, usually they are socialists or they come from socialism. Um, and then also reading Huey Newton's uh, Revolutionary Suicide, which is his autobiography, he connected capitalism and, um, and, and racism to each other. And I saw those parallels and I connected it to, you know, my own experience living on the west side of Chicago. And, uh, you know, I had thought processes that cultural elements played a role, but those were easily diffused. You know, I lived in a household with two parents and had a very quality life or whatever. Um, in terms of like education, they were involved. You know, people knew who, who the Watsons were, you know, like my teachers, my teachers would be like, oh, you're the rebellious one. You know, they, they knew who I was, you know. Uh, I got in trouble in my last, last year of school because I went to Providence St. Mel because uh, I had earrings in and I ended up getting three Saturdays. And the guy in the, and the principal said to me, he's like, are you a Watson? So it was very clear. My parents were involved in the, the political, like the, in my education life. But my neighbor also had two parents, um, same, same age as my sister. Um, his older brother was the same age as my brother. And, um, and he ended up having three kids and, and, um, and got into the, you know, the, the, what job, job offers weren't really there. So, you know, he got involved in kind of the, what you would call like a black market capitalism type of situation. And, uh, you know, ended up losing his life um, at, at a very young age, 20 something, you know, 26 or something like that. So to me, like, it was very clear, like, um, it's not these cultural elements that are about, involved, but there's actually something much, much larger involved. And I think, you know, understanding capitalism kind of put me in a trajectory where leftism was like the, the way to go. So <clears throat> we've kind of danced around this issue. It seems like it's, it's not danced around it in terms of trying to ignore it, but it seems like we're circling and getting closer to kind of, we keep coming back to these uh, similar ideas. So I guess let's get into more recently, just what's been going on and what your activism has been and um, connecting it to socialism and these other ideas that you've, that you've uh, talked about. I think, so one thing that's just that, you've brought up a couple of times, I think, is this idea of the relationship between, and I, I think this has been a very pertinent issue recently. It's been being discussed more, but the connections are somewhat dismissed and it's kind of a controversial topic, right? Which is this idea of the relationship between racism right and what that is and capitalism or i'm just going to say our economic system because let's get rid of the ism for now and our economic system and what you know sort of like this idea of trying to separate the two and saying well racism is responsible for this thing but that doesn't have anything to do with the economic system the economic system does cause this other thing, but that's not because it's racist, et cetera, right? It's, it's sort of trying to separate things out in the analysis instead of kind of looking at it in a holistic way. 
right. I guess. Um, could you could you talk about that? I mean, I'm sure you've thought about this a lot. I mean, you're you're African American and you you're a socialist, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I mean, and there's a lot of I I know I don't want to get too much into the whole you know like Bernie Sanders thing, but I just know when he you know I, especially this last time around, but even in 2016, right? There was a lot, and and I and I saw a lot of people online, and an MS you know <laughs> the liberal outlets, right? Like MSNBC, CNN, right? There's always this kind of like, oh well, this doesn't appeal to African Americans. Yeah, I mean, and it's kind of a weird trick that they do that I, right. I don't you know but i just wanted to hear your thoughts on on that because to me number one that doesn't ring true because the the people you've just talked about malcolm x martin luther king hugh and Newton, right like the people you're talking about that are legitimately looked up to um not by everyone obviously but by i think like most people who think who believe in social justice etc right? right um were people who said like yeah actually socialism is what we need and mm-hmm. also we're fighting against you know like racism um and we're african-american right so i mean can you talk about that and your perspective and ideas about that because it's it's very much an issue right now mm-hmm. um I would argue it's always been an issue, just not one that's been discussed <laughs> as, as much. But now it's an issue that's kind of being discussed, but often in very superficial ways. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's, you know, absolutely. Like there's, I think there's been a concise effort that's been put in place since the 80s um, after kind of like the post-Black Panther era and saw in like, in an attack on, I mean, you could, you could connect the uh, the flip side of the approach to uh, racial justice on 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 like outside of like fighting for a different economic system to uh, like black capitalism or whatever. You can connect that back to you know Richard Nixon, uh, and then you can kind of see like there if you if you understand these both of these elements, there's been a push to kind of push for a kind of black capitalist element that set, that is connected to a goal of suggesting that economic justice and racial justice are separated from each other. As opposed to, if we look at when um, the, the, the notion of I am a man, you know, that came out of the 60s and the 70s, and you look at like a lot of the civil rights um, activists that I can, you know, I can list names, I literally have on my phone case. Um, oh, all, that's that's awesome. You know, like all of For the, the listeners that can't that can't see it. He's got a great phone case with like all of these activists. Yeah, heroes and their photos on the on area Tubman, as we spoke before we got I have, you know, um, uh, George Jackson, you got Huey Newton, you got Martin Luther King, you got Claudia Jones, you got Fannie Lou Hamer, uh, uh, you know, Shada Shakur. Um, Harry Belafonte, Fred Hampton, um, Frederick Douglass, um, A. Philip Randolph, uh, 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 W.B. Du Bois, and, and so many other people. I'm not even going to go into the full names, but the whole no, thing. No, it's fine. Yeah. It's, just, it's like people who have identified as socialists, you know, communists, 
um, uh, people who were proto-social, you know, like th those type of ideas. Because I, you know, the whole the whole notion is like there's a, a tr an attempt to kind of dispel and separate these two from each other. You know, um, James Baldwin is on there as well, and 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 I think that was intentional. I think what we saw. Um, we saw these massive movements, the, the, the things that have existed in the past, like um, li life-changing events. For example, uh, there's, a, there's this attempt to try and attack unionism, um, but unions were, the role of unions have closed the gap on racial, and, you know, racial justice um, on, a more, on a higher scale than I don't, I don't, I don't even know of, of other tactics that, that existed that were um, like more liberal tactics in the past. And so, yeah, I think there's an intent to kind of um, try and separate the two. But I, you know, I just read this article, I think in the last days that just was talking about how the source of inequality, it's, it's definitely, inequality is, the, is definitely the role that has played a, uh, that, that disparity, racial disparity. Um, but disparity doesn't exist just because of racism, right? Like if, if, if we got the police killings down to 14% black people, um, you know, uh, instead of 30% to, to, to match them, the level right, of, to match the, yeah. in, in terms of in America, is our goal, is that our goal? Like, are we done? No. I mean, if you look at the, the American approach to policing and also jails, prisons, um, if you did not have the black population and the Latino population inside of those, those two categories, we still would be a, a, a world leader in killing, uh, killing folks by police and jailing people. Um, so that's, that should not ultimately be our goal is to, to remove the disparity. Um, the, the goal should be how do we eliminate police killings? Like when, when you have a Sean Bell in New York, I think his name was, who was shot 69 times by police officers at, on his uh, wedding night, I think it was, I think that was Sean Bell. But then, you know, that's a sad thing is that it's hard to remember right, it's so many. anymore because, <laughs> you know, I know this sounds like, oh, well, you're talking about anecdotal, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there are statistics to back it up, but the fact of the matter is, if you look at all these horrible things that are happening, to be honest, it's hard for me to remember who's who because yeah. people get, you know, you, you read a story, then the next week there's a different one right. and it's equally horrendous. What do um, they say? Every 28 hours there's another <clears throat> shooting, police involved shooting? Yeah, I mean, it just keeps going on and on. So, yeah, the, I, if, if, if you got the, the name wrong, I, well, I'm sure I'm sure the listeners won't mind because it I mean it you know it's sad but it is horrible because there's just so much of this happening that it 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 is I mean at some point you know there are the, the there are the ones that kind of everybody remembers cuz they really sparked you know that was right. like, like they like were just the they, they were right there was like the yeah. straw that broke, broke the, the camel's down. back and then something started but sure. but I mean the fact is it's like this is happening all the time right. and and it's it's sick, but it's, that's what makes it hard to, you know, remember at a certain level, like, was this person killed last week or, or six months ago? Am right. I getting the name right? The, you know, cause it just gets, it all starts to like blend. Right. Right. Um, I mean, the only reason why I'm pointing out his murder is to kind of 
put it in to put it into um, comparison is I think all of Germany had shots, 67 shots by the entire police force. There were yeah, 67 I, registered shootings in, out of Germany. And so like, or, you know, like that, that to me sh should draw a bigger conclusion that there is something else that plays a role here. And I think disparity is directly connected to like racism is a part of why disparity exists. I mean, like COVID-19, that speech that I did at the park, I talked about there'd be 17,000 more people alive if black folks died at the same rate as, of, as white folks. But, but what I wanna be clear is I'm not saying that black people are a different species or a different element, but it's the inbred, inbred system, systemic elements that ki have killed and, you know, this particular group of people, I, you know, I wish there were numbers. We know those numbers of black folks that were killed by COVID. We know, you know, brown folks, uh, we know white folks that were killed by COVID, but I'd actually be interested in seeing like, what was their basic income? You know, what was, if they, do they make right. the average, you know, American income? Is that 80% of the deaths? Cause I mean, I haven't seen, I haven't seen people who can afford to have a ventilator in their household and can afford to get COVID-19 tests at such an earlier rate where it were impossible from us, but we heard celebrities all, all, all testing themselves and having positives. Um, like, you know, very few of them died from COVID related, you know, if, and, and the ones that did, you know, like Herman Cain, for example, was a denier. So, right. you know, yeah, I uh, on the COVID thing, I had one of um, uh, on episode four of the podcast. I had a, a woman who's a Chicago public school teacher in Little Village, yeah. mm -hmm. and um, I think that's been one of the hardest hit neighborhoods. And she told yeah. me that a quarter of the kids she she's an eighth grade teacher, and she told me that a quarter of the kids in her class last like in the spring semester had a family member who had actually died mm -hmm. because of COVID, um, mm -hmm. which is just, you know, and then, cause we were talking about artists, how the schools are going to be opening, you know, like virtually and all of that. And um, it, it was just, I mean, to hear that is really horrific. I mean, that's just like, those children and you're just thinking about that group you know that neighborhood and you think about basically ptsd that a generation is going to have as a result of this oh yeah right i mean it's it's gonna if 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 a quarter you know if if a quarter of your friends and you right have gone through this yeah for sure and the numbers are going to go up, obviously. I mean, we still haven't resolved the issue, so maybe it's going to be half eventually, right? Um, have had a family member, an aunt, a mom, a dad, a grandfather, whoever, right? Pass away from this and within a, a year or two. I mean, that's like, that's something that is going to change people. Oh, it's, going to shift. it's going to shift the entire consciousness of, of, of what it is to be you know, 
to live in this situation. I think that the stat is like 30% or something like that of, of all black Americans have somebody that they know um, very like intimately has, has died from COVID. So that's wow. like one in, you know, almost one in three. So yeah, it's, uh, it definitely changed the, 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 the perspective around, you know, these things around the, this discussion uh, around it. But I, I think it's in, what I was trying to draw out was it's important to understand that there's no inherent difference between um, black, brown, and white folks. Um, but there is the way that they are, their, um, their ability, like their ability to work from home. Yeah. Um, the, right. Their ability to uh, have a car instead of taking the bus, you know, buses yep. and trains. I, I don't know if you saw pictures that were coming out of that, but like out in New York, it was like May and the train was full of people, you know, and, and I know in the buses in Chicago, the trains were full, I mean, the buses were full of people. And so, you know, whereas me, I, my, my mother who works at Northwestern Hospital had to go to work. Um, she didn't have a car, so um, you know my sister and I would rotate taking her to work, you know, uh, to ensure and picking her up. Um, not everybody has the that possibility of being able to do that, um, or even be able to work from home. Um, they also they often are essential workers, um, which we know that essential workers prior to this point were severely underpaid. And um, although they were given the name heroes, um, that heroes pay disappeared after, you know, a few months. Um, you know those type of things. So that that I want to get I want to get into that a little bit because now you've uh, this is one of those things that drives me, that that really infuriates me. Um, let okay, I, I don't want to go off on a rant. So let but I will just say I, I will just say this. Okay. <clears throat> like I heard, uh, um, I was talking to somebody and I, and I mentioned how, you know, the Democratic Party, it, there's this disaster happening now, right? And they've done basically nothing. Mm -hmm. um, and I said, you know, look, they could do things that are in their platform. Their 20, 2016 platform has a $15 an hour yeah. minimum wage in the platform. Then this um, person looked up on their phone and they said, oh, well, actually they did pass a bill in the house to increase the minimum wage to $15 an hour, but it's it can't get through the Senate. So they tried. And my response to that was, that's not trying. Like trying is you are on TV, every member of the Democratic Party in the national level, in the House and the Senate is on TV every day and is saying these people are heroes and the Republicans won't pass this bill to give them $15 an hour. Yeah, true opposition. Right, <laughs> that that is doing something. Yeah. I mean, I this is just like optics, right? <laughs> oh, well, we passed the bill, but the Republicans won't do anything about it. Oh, well. I mean, this, this I, I mean that, that just, when I... That that's one of those things that drives me up the wall, and I, it doesn't really make me angry because I know that's what the Democratic Party is, right? right? These kind of shenanigans, but it's just it it makes me, 
that kind of thing really does make me sick because we had like a couple of months, right? Where everybody's like, nurses are heroes. Right. Fast you food delivery workers are heroes. Right. These people are all heroes. They're great. It's like, well, what have, what have any of you done to make life easier for them or to increase their salary, you know, the wages they make or, or, or anything? Right. You, um, you have a dominant interest right now to improve the quality of lives of these people. Yeah. Use it, like, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but who not. in the population now would be like, no, 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 no. It's too much to pay a grocery store employee $15 an hour. Right. That's I what mean, they used to think. I mean, that would be insane. I mean, if anybody said that, you'd be like, uh, you mean the people who are risking their lives every day to make right. sure that, that you have food? Right. You think it's You think that's too much to pay them? Right. I mean, anyway, I don't want to get off, but like that, 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 that's the kind of thing. But so I want to link this to something else you were saying before, right? Mm -hmm. So you were saying how economic justice and racial justice or social justice, however you want, you know, it, it's both of those racial justice is one facet of the social justice piece, right? Are treated separately. And when you said that, it just immediately made me think of, that's the Democratic Party. Absolutely. Right? The Democratic Party is, we're going to come out for, uh, you know, uh, same sex, you know, like marriage. We're going to come out for um, whatever. We're going to say black people shouldn't be shot, but we're not going to really do much about it. But anyway, but economically, we need to make sure we have a balanced, you know, budget and <laughs> <laughs> like whatever right like we we you know we there's no really there's with a couple of exceptions there are not really uh, they're what the republicans were like 50 years ago i mean uh, or they're actually to the right of what the republicans were 50 or 60 years ago oh yeah um so it's kind of a weird mix where um it's this party of of but then on the other hand, if you agree with, if someone agrees with what you're saying, which is you can't really have one without the other, they're not separate, right? You can't separate the economy from social justice. Like it's- Precisely. Then you look at it and you're like, so you're not really, you're not really for justice at all. You're for the, the optics of it. Like you're for having- um, Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Think about um, the Martin Luther King statement where he says, what good is it for you to be able to have a burger at whatever restaurant you have, you can go in if you can't afford that burger. You know, that was 60, 50, you know, 50, 60, 70, even years ago. And it's very much a similar true statement. I mean, to, to kind of go back to your, the Democratic Party, they are the party of kente cloth and kneeling, uh, you know, because of George Floyd. But but when, when there are demands that are coming, uh, you know, they paint, they paint Black Lives Matter on the street, uh, but don't do anything that, that changes the dynamic. And, and, and I mean, I understand defunding the police is a um, controversial demand, but I, I would say like what you said, $15 minimum wage, you know, George Floyd, uh, in, in the worst case scenario, he spent $20, uh, a $20 counterfeit. That's what led to the police. If he did it intentionally, 
you know, that's the worst case right. scenario. His life lost because he intentionally spent $20 counterfeit money. Well, he was a bouncer at a nightclub that, that closed because of COVID-19. And he had $1,200 um, that was supposed to last him for, uh, I guess, when was that money given to us? March? It's right. supposed to last him into May for two well, months. It's supposed to last him indefinitely, really, right. because indefinitely. There's, still, there's still no end in sight. I mean, anyway. No. But he, but I'm, I'm given, you know, he was killed on. Oh yeah, you know, absolutely. I'm not trying to, I'm not disputing your point. I'm just saying like the economic response to this has been insane. And I, I, it's hard to me to talk about it without getting just really pissed off because. um, I'm I'm upset with you. (laughs) um, And yeah, but anyway, yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's, that's the absurdity of it. So, okay. We've been kind of in this, I don't want to say abstract, but I want to kind of, what I really want now is to get into your activism because I want to make it concrete for people because I think people it's, it's, it's like what you said, there, there are people who, and I completely understand it. You look at things and you're like, what's the point? Mm -hmm. What's the point of me doing anything when I'm one person? Like, let's just use a hypothetical, right? You know, I close to half of the country doesn't vote in the, presidential election and this what we're talking about now isn't about the electoral aspect of this but i'm just saying if you know if it's hard to if if there are that many people who just feel like i don't have the time for this or it's not going to really change anything for me you know um then when you take it a step and that's a bare you know like minimum right that's like showing up and you fill out a ballot and you're done (laughs) right or you mail it in or whatever. But now when you're talking about like actual activism, right? Um, whether it's in the the electoral, you know, uh, you know, context of being like a volunteer or whether it's in the context of not getting somebody specifically elected, but advocating around an issue. Right. Um, I completely understand about people who, you know, like people we were, talk- we were talking about before, people are making less than $15 an hour um, working one full-time job or two full-time jobs or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, what's what's the point? I'm going to show up there. If I go to a protest, I might get beaten or arrested or shot. Um, for what? Like, what's right. the point, you know? Um, there, so... I, I want you to kind of go back and, and start to talk a little bit about the activism you've been involved with, how you've gotten, because I, I assume you're also doing outreach and trying to get other people involved, et cetera. And I just want to hear some of your thoughts on, on what you've seen appeals to people and also what, sort of like what, what you say to people who see things that way, because it's an, as, as you yourself said, it's an understandable way to see things. Yeah, yeah. I'm not critical of that. Of right. Those. Right. I mean, I think, you know, I think that's what we're kind of battling against is, is the intentional. And, and you know, I, and I, I also don't lay it on the, at the foot of the people for, for having that perspective. I lay it actually on all of the people who are supposed to be, you know, caring about this type of thing. You know, the failure of the two party system is that they've actually 
created a situation where uh, ultimately it's it's like you know elect me, and I'll fight for you. As opposed to what it should be is I can play a role as an electoral seat to the movement, but you have to be involved in that movement to a keep accountability, but also to amplify it. You know, and that's kind of like what Shama uh, in Seattle uh, provides as an example is, you know, for example, we won, we, we were able to, to utilize by connecting it with regular working people who, like you said, prior to probably, this was their first actions. We were able to connect it to people to be like, look, a fight for, um, a, for an Amazon tax in Seattle is directly connected to a fight for racial justice in Seattle. I mean, for one, Capitol Hill, where she's where she's the the uh, council person in, is um, uh, is a fast gentrifying um, neighborhood that has pushed black black people out of a historically black neighborhood. Um, I was I was there in two thousand and nineteen, or yeah, two thousand nineteen in that neighborhood, talking to you know voters on that. And one thing you would notice is that painted on the ground was red, black, and green. But the neighborhood was, was no longer as black as, you know, it was no longer the historically black neighborhood anymore. And then while it was, you know, where this particular um, red, black, and green was painted was an old grocery store that had been replaced by condominiums that would cost, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars that will generally push black people out of that neighborhood uh, because of the way that wealth in America is, is that majority of the wealth is consolidated in the hands of, 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 of white families. Um, um, so it, it put, you know, it, it's pushing people out, but yet, you know, they'll do something like paint the, paint the street, the colors of the, you know, red, black, and green as the, the black, the African-American flag, you know? And so like, that's, that to me, um, uh, the need to kind of get people involved politically is to say like, instead of saying, elect me, I will get you $15, but you saying, we need to have a situation where we can have somebody in office who we don't have to appeal to, who we don't have to convince because they're directly connected to this movement. They have a history in this movement. They were struggling while they were not being paid to do it in this movement. Also, another thing is, you know, for example, Shama's take home is only 40, 40 or $45,000 uh, a year, despite the fact that the take home in Seattle for city council is just like ours here in Chicago, it's $120,000. In our organization, if you run as a candidate, you have to take the, the, the average amount of a professional in your constituency. So her, her actual raise is tied to if she can get a raise for the working people that she represents. You know, because it's very difficult for um, the alderman in a place where the average income is 22000 to actually know what, like, how the life of that person lives in that neighborhood when he makes 120000 He makes a whole six figures more than the average person that lives in that area. So, yeah, um, uh, you know, small incremental changes can work for him, but it doesn't work for them as well. So yeah, you have to create things that um, connect to working people so that they can move from uh, um, uh, uh, kind of the apathetic approach to politics. Because I think right now, 
many people do feel they look at these things they may not have a direct analysis that they can like articulate the problem you know like like i did but they people aren't stupid you know uh there's a carl sagan statement that i really like um that i'll I'll have to look up and I'll, i'll bring it up uh later on in the interview but um but but people are dumb they have they have a reason for why they come up to these conclusions and so we i think the the best example is for for people who are, who have not get, not, not, you know, fallen short to apathy or not even just apathy, um, that their, their life doesn't actually, their life actually can um, offer a certain amount of time that they can give to try and fight for a new world, um, can provide an example that could then bring in more people who have not um, historically been politically involved. Also, though, you want to fight for reforms that can improve their lives so that they can actually give that time, um, you know, give time like that to to causes. Because if you're making what's that? What's the minimum wage? Uh, the federal minimum wage, seven twenty five. Yeah, it hasn't gone up in like God knows how long. I don't know. Yeah. If you're making seven twenty five, all you're doing is working like you you were probably working two jobs. This this really stuck with me when we wanted in Seattle, the $15 minimum wage in Seattle. But a man, he quit one of his jobs. Um, and so he took a pay cut because he quit one of his jobs when the $15 minimum wage went into play because he could live off the 15 versus I think the total amount he had was like $17.50. Um, but it allowed him to do two things. It allowed him to take care of his two daughters um, more. He had more time to, to give to them to uh, their homework. That was what he particularly said in his interview. And on the other side, he said he was able to work out more, um, which to me is he's a better father to his kids and he's possibly could live longer. He's healthier, right? Healthier, right. Yeah. So that, that also could mean, it doesn't have to mean that, but it also could mean he might see his life be different in a year or two years and be like, how did I get here? What changed? Who brought this $15 minimum wage that brought me in this trend? And then be like, I want to be a part of that. You know, I want to improve other people's lives the way that my life was improved. And so, like, that's what those reforms need to do. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about the relationship between, because I think you brought it up at the beginning. Um, you're talking about... Um, well, two things. The thing I want to talk about is slightly different, but you, you're talking about, I think, like theory versus application. Yeah, yeah. But the thing I, so I want to talk about that too. But the other thing I want to talk about is just kind of strategy. Yeah. Right? Because in the US, like I said, socialism is the S word. <laughs> right? And, um, and, and yet, I look at the Socialist Alternative website, and most of the stuff I see on it are things that, if, you know, could have easily been part of the New Deal, you know, 80 years ago, right? Like, there are economic policies that I'm like, well, FDR would have been in favor of most of this stuff, and was. So, um, so, okay, so let me set this up and then we can, okay. Um, I think, I think it was, I think it was a, an interview that I saw with 
Noam Chomsky, I think, where he, he somebody was asking him about, you know, Sanders. And he said that he thought it would have been a better strategy because, you know, in terms of like the world stage, in terms of, you know, politics, Sanders really isn't that far to the left at all. No, nah, he would be a right wing. Right. He'd be like he'd be like a center right politician in many European countries. Right. Sure. So. But Chomsky was saying something like, if I remember it right, which was I, th I thought was interesting, was he's saying, you know, by putting the socialist label on himself, it kind of confuses people because people in the United States don't really know what socialism is. And it would have been more successful, he thought, if Sanders had just said, like, I'm a New Deal Democrat. Right? Like, I'm a Democrat but I believe in what the party was 80 years ago, <laughs> right? And I'm just trying to bring us back to that basic thing. It's actually a conservative position because it's from 80 years ago. This is what we were doing 80 years ago. I want to pick up where we left off. And that's all. There's nothing magic about it. There's nothing scary about it. Right. These are policies that were supported by, you know, even Republican politicians in the 50s, Yeah. you know? Um, so I want to get, I'm not saying I necessarily agree with that in a big, you know, uh, in terms of a bigger, you know, uh, picture, because I think if, if, if you are doing something different, you should be honest with your language about what is it, what it is you're trying to do. On the other hand, I do see a point in terms of electoral politics, right, of sort of saying like, everybody here is calling me like, are radical, but I'm doing stuff that was mainstream in the forties and fifties. Mm -hmm. So what are you guys talking about? Right. So do you have thoughts on that? I mean, does that, so do you, I mean, I I'm assuming that, you know, this, the socialist alternative as an organization, like runs into that issue often because people don't know what socialism is mm -hmm. in, in the U S or, or they just have a different idea from what most of, the world you know thinks it is and maybe have like an initial instinctual response of like well socialism is bad i don't even want to hear about this um so i'm kind of i know i know i'm like mixing apples and oranges a little bit because i'm talking about the electoral setting versus activism around issues etc but i think it does apply to both of those like um the labeling for one of a better word the you know like marketing of an idea for sure right um so i'm just interested to hear your thoughts on that because obviously this appeals to you obviously you don't you know have a fear of just saying like yeah i'm a socialist here's what i think these are you know this is what that means and i'm gonna go out there and i'm gonna basically educate about what this is and that's just what i'm gonna do um what are your thoughts about, you know, the bigger, uh, this bigger kind of strategy idea of like, well, in the American context, is that what makes the most sense? Mm -hmm. Or is there this other way of approaching it where you're saying the same things, but you don't necessarily attach a label that people are going to have this like ingrained resistance to because of the American educational and corporate 
media systems? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, the, I guess the question is, because I mean, obviously, you and your listeners probably know that there's a lot of people, there's a lot of le- like a lot of different approaches in the left. Um, there are other so- actual socialist organizations that um, are a little bit weary about being forthright about, you know, their perspective around socialists, being socialists and things of that nature. But I mean, I think within our organization, we want to take on the, you know, the McCarthy error kind of uh, the, the, the leftoverness of the McCarthy era, right? Like the McCarthy era was used to uh, push socialists out of unions, out of, um, you know, make them seem like they were, you know, very negative. Uh, and I think for us, it's super important to um, get people to challenge their understanding of like, uh, of, of the history and not to coast around it or do a shortcut around it, right? Like we, when, when, we, ran, when we ran Shama, we ran as an open socialist. Uh, in 2012 we did, and it was just, it was just a, in 2012 we, did, we ran her and we got 30% of the vote. And so that, that to us was a lesson. And uh, it was a lesson that people actually are not as fearful of this, of this uh, title as, they, as previous generations were. And I think we can look at the stats uh, that people may not understand what socialism is exactly, right? Um, and there are many different definitions of what socialism is. You know, I, I to your point, um, you know, Bernie Sanders, uh, his, his ideas are not radical by any means, right? They're very much a uh, new dealing, new, new dealer type of, of politics. Um, but they would improve the quality of life of working people. Um, and, and ergo, that's why we, you know, we supported him. We, we had some, you know, critiques of his international politics or how far he would go on, um, some of these politics, these, these type of things, you know, um, the, 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 the notion of breaking up the banks again, um, doesn't take into account that the banks were broken up under the Glass-Steagall Act and then reversed in 1999 under, by Clinton, you know? Uh, and so we, we would like to draw out that it's not enough to just do that because the capitalist class will just wait another 70 years for this entire generation to, to forget and then, you know, repeal it again. Um, they, they have a class uh, memory. You know, they have a, 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 an understanding of how things were in the past. Our, our role, um, in my opinion, is to read our past and bring that past to the, uh, to the working class. Um, and so, like, you know, that's why I'm reading. I don't have my books right here and immediately, but, you know, that, that's, that's why I'm reading um, four or five books right now, um, building up a discussion around um, socialism and, 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 and black liberation, like how those things actually have historically been connected to each other, you know? Um, uh, so like, that's why I think it's also within that realm is you have to go into the history of what it meant pre pre McCarthyism and like the role, you know, I have my critiques of the communist party for sure. And the socialist party of, of America, those two groups that existed in the past, but you have to take into account that they were two of the largest socialist organizations that ever existed in um, on American soil. Um, 
uh, and like what they have done uh, from the Scottsboro boys and uh, in, in terms of advocating for some young men who were supposed to be legally lynched, um, what, they what they did in Alabama for um, uh, people who were getting pushed out of their houses um, by their landlords, like, you know, oftentimes they had elements where they would heat up a house, you know, if, they, if, they, if the landlord tried to turn off the heat so that they can evict somebody. Well, there's lessons there. There's lessons of the past that exist in this realm. We're talking about moving towards the biggest uh, eviction crisis in, in a century, um, you know, due to COVID. There's definitely lessons there. So I think when you're talking about having an honest look at the history of these, uh, these struggles in the past, you have to then be honest with working people. Like this is what's, these are what socialists and, and, and different people on the left have done to advocate for uh, black, black folks, um, for brown folks, for working folks, for queer folks. You know, like we've always been there. You know, we've always been fighting. Um, and we've always warned that um, if we don't build something alternative to the Democratic Party, the party's going to continue to move to the right and the polit political mainframe will, will be, you know, a shit show at some point. And um, here we are, you know, uh, to a point you made earlier, Obama said openly that he's like in a different decade, he would have been a Reaganite Republican. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think he said one of his political heroes is Ronald Reagan. Um, yeah. I mean, he was kind of saying it in sort of a, a Machiavellian kind of a way of like, he was a good, you know, politician, right? Not necessarily, I agree with him, but yeah, there's certainly an element of, in, well, I, in all of that, that what you're, you're saying is, I'm not disagreeing with, it, I'm just saying, yeah, he's, he said stuff like that. No, I'm, I'm more drawn out about just how much the entire political. Yeah, yeah, of, has of course. To the right, you know, where Obama was the Democratic president 2008 to 2016 was, more politically in line with the Reagan of the of the eighties, you know. Right. And like now we have Trump and we have Biden, you know. So Yeah, this is something that I struggle with because just on a personal note, I the whole like isms, right? Capitalism, socialism, it's something I personally st struggle with. I understand. Because I've never, I just never like to apply those kinds of labels to myself, even though my, you know, politics, looking at the socialist alternative website, like, I agree with all of that. <laughs> no, I mean, I do. I, I didn't see anything where I was like, and of course, this isn't the first time I'm learning about socialism. I mean, <laughs> right. you know, but, but just looking at an organization like this, you know, and, and I'm looking at it and I'm like, this is yeah, like what's the even controversial about this? Mm -hmm. um, but to your, I think what you're saying, and I think it's extremely valid and, you know, and an important thing is when we have groups that are fighting for certain things, it's important that that group sort of have a name for itself that members can identify each other and identify with a common core of things you can disagree about a lot of stuff right sure. but you can have a common core um and then i think the more important point that you kind of alluded to maybe it was explicit to the listener but i felt like it was more kind of like you know like i i want to draw it out a little bit is 
if there is a history of that, and in the United States, there is a history of that, it's a long history. And in fact, some of these ideas started in the United States and then spread to the rest of the world and were abandoned and destroyed in the United States. Right. Um, you want people who become active and who learn about these movements today, you want them to be able to go back and not come up with some new fancy name because socialism is no longer sexy or whatever. To go back and be like, wait a minute, this is what was going on in the late nineteenth in the late nineteenth, you know, century. For sure. Um, Chicago is really, I mean, I this is a little bit imprecise, but it's like Chicago in the late eighteen hundreds is kind of the origins of what I think of as, you know, socialism. Well, May Day for sure. Right, right. And it's like celebrated and recognized and the history is known everywhere in the world except in the United States. Right. It's not it's, Which it's is, not even a huge day. Right. It it happened year. <laughs> but it was then ex you know, and of course the people that were involved in all of that weren't most of them weren't native. No, no. like not native as in Native no, American, were, but they, they weren't born in the United States. Yeah, they, were, they had they had immigrated from yeah. Europe. Mm -hmm. Um and they were sharing these I, I read this fascinating book, I forget what it's called, but it, it gets into all of this. The population in Chicago at that time, I think it was like a half or a third, you know, foreign, you know, born people yeah, yeah. who were coming here to do these jobs in the, you know, mills and all this other stuff had their own, there were like 20 German language, you know, like newspapers in the city. There were, you know, just speaking their own, you know, like languages, et cetera, and exchanging these ideas. For sure. And some of the people that moved to the U.S. did so specifically because they had these ideas and they weren't, you know, like welcome right. back where they were from. And they were more there. Of course, they weren't welcome here by certain people, but there was this, you know, uh, there was this consciousness around it. So anyway, it's just fascinating. So I think I. In general, I agree with you. I mean, I mm -hmm. think it's very important. Like, I don't like to shy away from things and, and say like, well, no, 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 you don't have to really, let's not, let's just like say it a nice way, right? So that people don't get upset and we'll find it more, you know, palatable. On the other hand, I also see the value, especially in the sphere of electoral, you know, politics mm -hmm. of maybe, you know, maybe there's a way to do like a combination. Like I remember years ago, I saw Dennis Kucinich um, give an interview and I think it was I think it was him and I think he said something like I'm actually a conservative he's like because the things I believe are conservative things like people should be able to make a living <laughs> right. have a family be safe have healthy food you know he went down the list and he was like what's not concerned like what's radical about any of this the same thing I was saying when looking at the socialist alternative site like what is radical about a $15 an hour minimum wage? What's radical about having like quality public, at, you know, uh, public education through, you know, college? What's radical about having health care for everyone? Nothing. You know, it, ex it exists in so many different countries. It should be, it's, it's. Right. What's right. You know, what's radical about having, you know, pensions for people so that you're not 
living in poverty in your old age. I mean, you know, you can go down the list of the stuff on, on the site and, um, but you can't, I understand what Kucinich was trying to do, but he was doing it in a specific context. You can't go out there and say like, well, I'm actually a conservative <laughs> and then start talking about like, you know, these policies because people would be like, no, you're not, right? Um, so I guess a part of it is using the, the, the language that exists because it links you back to a history but then being very clear and saying, you know, these other labels are really being abused and misused, right? Um, there's nothing conservative about conservatism. It's actually, that's the radical position. The, the way that word is used in the US, that's a radical stance. Um, if you look at it in terms of like what human beings need, right? right. It's basically saying like, well, we don't care, like every man for himself, et cetera. I mean, that that's, if you look at kind of human history, evolutionary, all of that, it's like, that doesn't make any sense. It's a crazy way of looking at the world. Um, okay, so that's kind of the theory that not, sorry, the kind of the strategic, like what, what words do we use? I don't think that's the most important thing. I just think it's an interesting issue. Yeah, I would, I would also, I'd push back on the, on whether or not radical would be the word that I use because radical as it's described in a dictionary is um, relating to or affecting the fundamental nature of something far reaching or thorough. Um, so yeah, I guess you could have like a radical right wing idea, but um, but I like the, the, the advocating are based on thorough or complete political or social change, which I guess, yeah, you're right. It could be, it's usually drawn into progressiveness. And I guess that's because of how conservative or pro-business is pretty much common within society. But yeah, I, I, I understand where you're coming from exactly. I, I, I do battle, I did battle with the notion of like a title, you know, to kind of give the name. I did push back on it a little bit, but I think once I started to have the the connection to other political ideas that existed in the past um, and wanting to be, you know, wanting to be connected to a Martin Luther King or a, an Ella Baker, you know, um, also there's another thing about it is I think you can be anti-capitalist. You know, there are people who are anti-capitalist uh, who are not necessarily socialists, right? right? And so I wanted to, uh, when I was convinced of like the critique of capitalism that socialists are putting forth, which is in the name, is that anti that capitalism is a hyper individualistic perspective. Um, it, it's individualism uh, that is to say that if you allow a few people to be rich, then we'll all benefit from it. That's the claim that they were making when they were moving from a feudal society to a capitalist society. Is that this will res resolve these issues by us prompting up individuals and allowing individuals to, to, to push themselves in the direction. And so it's, 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 I think in the name and there's a critique of, of capitalism that's embedded. But on the flip side, there, there are other problems with it because I think capitalism is not individualistic in, 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 in its like artistic approach. You know, you know, if you wanna do quality music, you have to sound like the popular sound. You want to, you know, 
Uh, if you want to be popular in terms of like clothing, you have to look like celebrities or something like that. So, I mean, I, 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 I recognize the hesitation, but I think for me, it's, it's like being connected to the red abolitionists of the 19th century, right? The, the, the socialists who fought, for, fought against slavery, um, but also wanted to connect, you know, chattel slavery to wage slavery. Um, uh, the, 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 uh, the chartists who came before them that, um, that were like an earlier movement um, for working people in a different era. Um, and then, you know, the, the advocacy for working people in the 19th century, the 20th century. Um, and, and so for me, like, I want, I want, it was easy for me to come to this conclusion because I kept seeing this common thread word. And so I can imagine how difficult it would have been to say there were in, in, in four different eras of four different popular people that I'm reading, if they didn't have the same um, logic, but they actually agreed on the same thing, but they called it four different things. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, you know, that, that's why I asked. Cause I, you know, I think there's, I think there's a valid view of like, there's kind of a short term gain. Right. By not being as explicit or hooking, you know, you, you know, like, uh, what's it called? Like, you know, like hitching your wagon to that, you know, to that horse or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. I know the same. But it might come at a long-term loss because people maybe are just like, aren't really being, awaken to some of these deeper connections to other things yeah. um which by the way i think so just to kind of like to get uh, another note this conversation has been really interesting for me because i i didn't think it was be as you know uh you know like uh theoretical as it's been on the other hand i think education that's the important first step you can't, you're not going to get people involved unless you get them first to sort of see what's going on. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And to make a link between my job sucks. <laughs> I just, you, you know, like to make a link between these things and like, why are those things? Yeah. Um, if you don't get that step, you're not going to get anybody off the couch yeah, to exactly. do anything. Um, so you know, I think that's super important. And I can tell that from our, the conversation we've had, you obviously think that also. Mm -hmm. um, but I just, I, I wanted to back up just another step. You were, we were talking about the word radical and you were saying something about going to the fundamental to change the fundamental, right? Yeah. So there's a few ways to look at it, right? There's a way of looking at it. The, maybe socialists are radical in the sense that they want to change the fundamental economic and social systems that we have. But there's a different way of looking at it, which is sort of what I, I think what I was saying is people who are right wing are radical even more, I think, because what they're trying to do is actually go below that. They're trying to change human nature itself, hmm. right? Like humans are not meant to be these like, Jeff Bezos like figures yeah, we're, yeah. we're social creatures that rely on each other 
Um, and, and, you know, humans have been around, we don't know exactly how long, but the estimates are anywhere between 100,000 years and like a million. There, it's, it's hard to know exactly based on the fossils and all of this, but humans like as human a not like species, human. yeah, okay, like as a species, like the, you know, like Homo sapiens, right, have been around for, let's say, let's take the, you know, like lower estimate, 100,000 years. And what we think of as history, like the recorded history is only about a tenth of that. Right. It's about 10,000 years. Right. And we know from f fossil records, et cetera, that, you know, humans in what we can say for want of a better word, their natural state, right? The, the environment that they involved to survive in were extremely social. There was no, yeah. like, it was a socialist system. There was not, you could not survive on your own <laughs> in that, in, you know, I mean, you still can't survive on your own. People have the illusion that you can, but when you really think about it, you're like, well, you're not making your own electricity or your own, you know, there are a handful of people in the world who maybe do live in a cabin in the woods and do everything by themselves, but that's like five people. Yeah, I mean, that's not the vast majority, right? So, right. and they're also affected by, like right climate change so right like, they're affected by climate change they're affected yeah. if like a war is happening in that area right. etc they're affected by all sorts of things yeah absolutely um so anyway so my point was just like there's different ways looking at what's radical and yeah. to me a lot of what what happens in our economic system and the way we, we do things as a society not just in the u.s but elsewhere in the world it's really sort of saying okay, you're human. There's a lot of things humans can do and be, but there's sort of a fundamental nature. We're not that different from other species in the sense that there are certain things that are just like programmed mm -hmm. into us, right? And a lot of our system is trying to program us with something that's inconsistent with that underlying hardwired- you, you sold me, you sold me Aspect to us, right? So that's a radical thing. Yeah, you to you say to say like, no, you know what? Uh, like, just as, a, as an example, parents don't need to see their kids more than a couple of days a week. They should work sixty hours a week and leave their kids in you know like you know like daycare or something. If you really think about human nature, that's a radical, insane thing, right? To say like, go be away from your kids. <laughs> Right. And leave them in the care of somebody you don't know. And that person's going to spend more time with your children than you are. Now, like yeah. we, we do it because of economic necessity. That's how our system is set up. But if you step back and you ask, like, is this normal? Is this human nature to do this? Right. No, I mean, it's not. not. Not only is it, it's actually scientifically proven to be detrimental to the child that in the first three years of their lives, they should be spending as much time. So not only, and that's directly to your point, it's directly related to our, our evolution. Um, like we, we are who we are today because of like what was, what was necessary for our ancestors to actually exist. And I'm, yeah, I, so I, 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 I you, you, you sold me on it. It's, you make a, you make a very solid case on that. I mean, I well, just, I'm just saying, like, the it just depends on what the fundamental thing you're looking at is. Yeah. I don't disagree that socialism is 
radical in the sense of challenging the the fund the fundamentals of the U.S. economic system. Right. I'm just saying, like, I think it's equally valid to look at an extreme right wing yeah. person and say, like, this person is a radical because they're yeah. they're saying what human nature has made, you know, is this thing. And it's actually something that's the opposite. Yeah. No, um, 100%. Anyway, sorry. That was like a rant. I don't know what that, that <laughs> no, listeners I'm, will, listeners will know I tend to, to do this from time to time. <laughs> um, okay. So this has been super interesting. I want to just kind of wrap up maybe by just talking about, like I said, we got into theory, which I'm fascinated by, and I think it's interesting, and hopefully, and I think the listeners think will think it's just it's interesting too. But I want to talk, like maybe spend the last twenty minutes or so, mm-hmm. fifty minutes, however long we have, just to talk a little bit about, like practically, what you've been doing um, in your activism. Yeah, like let's say in the past six months, three months, a month, whatever. And um, what the socialist alternative has been yeah. uh, doing. And let's, and I want to kind of try to keep it so we don't, cause there, I'm sure there are a million things you could get into. I, I think but, right, right. But I want to kind of like focus on, and let's talk about Chicago. Cause that's where we are. Okay. And if we, t- if we talk about this, like the local examples, I think that can make it much more concrete for people. Yeah. Um, so I, I would say like the, 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 the difficulty of the last six months period is, in, is, is that we're taking it into account of like what it means to be like in COVID, you know, COVID situation. So I, I would say like in the last six months, we've been putting forth, you know, the, like we saw that the recession was coming prior to COVID. Like, there's an emphasis in in in, in a political in, in the mainstream to try and say like COVID created the crisis, uh, the recession crisis, and then also a more recent article in New York Times was just calling calling people dumb for not recognizing that there is a an economic crisis, despite the fact that it's from these very sources that that they get their information. Um, but there was like evidence of uh, an impending recession since 2019. Like we were seeing um, things all over the place. So we were basically trying to utilize the the COVID heightened uh, perspective of like politics. You know, people were like now paying attention to politics at a higher scale because of COVID-19, because they were at home. So they were watching more news. Uh, things of that nature. So we wanted to kind of like draw in that political, you know, connecting that political direction to what can happen, especially we knew that austerity was coming down the pipeline, um, which is, you know, even more true now we see in this across the country. Um, But, you know, as of June, when the George Floyd situation kind of blew up, um, I think we wanted to talk about like strategy, you know, and I, and I appreciate that you brought that up earlier, is what's the proper, what's the best strategy for, um, for actually uh, winning and improving, improving the lives of, uh, for sure, black and brown working people, but working people as a whole. And 
And so like that's, you know, that so a lot of that is, you know, taking on some of the more dominant elements of this struggle, which is uh, an emphasis of like a silo kind of approach where, you know, like you can only deal with this, these racial justice problems and not deal with the, the, the larger structural issues that are associated with it. So taking on that was a part of in our last months. Um, and then also connecting that struggle to actually impending struggles that, that we were, that, that were already pretty much there. So in 2018, we had, we had a, a, a rent control um, struggle in Pilsen uh, just because we're a smaller organization, we have to kind of localize our things. And Pilsen was a notorious ground for um, a community that is being quickly gentrified from a, a very working class and Latino background to a very much um, middle class um, uh, uh, buy-in um, because of other places in Chicago already being too expensive. So we wanted to, we used that trajectory to kind of build on like, um, a need for renters to get to come together uh, and actually advocate for each other, you know, and not just a situation where um, uh, the the person in, in unit A who can afford to live in their unit and because they can work from home because their job never required uh, for them to go in. Um, you know, like that person's fine, but unit B, the person who got laid off because they were at a hotel, for example, and hotels weren't being used at the point, um, you know, like we're only advocating for B. We were trying to draw out that actually, um, if we come together and we have discussions like, hey, the seven of us have met and we will, we will make up and give you this amount for all seven of us to not be negatively impacted, um, to kind of support other tenants who, who, who were negatively impacted by these things. So we were, you know, we were building that and we've done a good amount of work in, against this, um, I think he's actually, I think you're actually in the area. Uh, Bekovic, are you familiar with that? Oh, um, yes. Yeah, so like, yeah. We, I'm not super familiar, but I've, I've seen it. Um, a member of a couple of neighborhood Facebook groups. So the neighborhood I live in is Rogers, uh, uh, Rogers, uh, Rogers uh, Park. And Courtney and I, I think, spoke about this very br briefly, but a couple of the neighborhood Facebook groups, I have seen um, people bring up that management, that property management company. Yeah. And um, Courtney, I think, mentioned it to me as a part of the activism that she was yeah. that she's been involved with so yeah can you discuss that a little bit so you know Bekovic is a, they're a family but they've they're worth literally millions they've been bringing in millions they've actually brought property since this um since the uh COVID-19 crisis they've, they've actually purchased property so you know it's important to kind of draw out that they aren't negatively impacted by this you know by this recession um, or the, this COVID crisis, um, and actually they're capitalizing, but they're also not interested in working with their uh, tenants. And so, you know, it's super important for us. Like, there's definitely legalistic approaches that people are doing. Sure. But if you look at pa at the past, it's not the legalistic approaches that have won. Those win cases, you know, on the one 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 to one level. But what we need is something that's massive. 
you know, if you're talking about uh, uh, like all of these cases are on the books waiting for the moratorium to, to, to be let up, um, uh, like the, the, there are, uh, what have they called it? Like the, the eviction uh, crisis is the next crisis after the COVID is what people are saying. Yeah. And so the really, the, what we want to draw out, the real way to fight is the same, similar like for working places, it's collective action. You know, Jeff Bezos has $200 billion, um, but Jeff Bezos is a single person. And the reason why I know you said you don't want to talk about Chicago specifically, but I mean, you only want to talk about Chicago specifically, but. No, it's okay. I mean, if you want to get into other stuff, that's fine. I just thought it would be good to give like specific examples. But if you've got other examples, that's fine too. That I don't, no, know, I don't have any issue. The reason why we're successful in taxing Amazon in Seattle is because we literally had, you know, thousands of signatures, right? You know, behind it, thousands, you know, thousands of people who were behind it, and that's the same thing. Is that the way to win? They have the resources. We have the people power, and so we have to actually tap tap into those powers. So like that's what we're doing around rent like fighting for i think in the in the in the immediate uh, of forgiveness and a moratorium or amnesty if you will um and so so like not a situation where you're gonna have to pay back this rent right over because that's ridiculous yeah and and for for most of the most people that's not possible i mean it's not no (laughs) it's financially impossible i mean many of these many people are living paycheck to paycheck so how are they going to pay back rent Right. I mean, I mean, it was it was already like twenty or twenty twenty five percent of on average before COVID nineteen weren't weren't paying their rent on time. Like that's what the numbers are saying. Like, so it, it did go up ten percent, but you got to account for the fact that, like, like you said, most people pay pay paycheck to paycheck. And well, and so you you brought up something interesting, and and I'm gonna try to kind of wrap things up, not because I want to, but because yeah, I no, know I know listener well. Number one, you've got other things to do. Number two, I know that listeners are like, man, why does every show have to be like two hours long? But anyway, <laughs> um, but no, um, it's interesting because you brought up the opportunity. There's this huge opportunity for the wealthy right now. Like Jeff Bezos, there's a reason Jeff Bezos got much wealthier. It's because people are buying everything on Amazon now. They're afraid to go out, etc. And there's a reason... Um, people who, uh, you know, do like run rental properties, if they're fairly, if they, if they've run their business well from a capitalist perspective, they can now afford to buy these buildings at like bargain, you know, (laughs) as like a bargain. And then they're just getting wealthier and wealthier as other people. But the opportunity is also there on the other side. It's unfortunate that it's there, but it should be used, which is 50 million people have lost their jobs since this whole thing began. And this is an opportunity for organizations like Socialist Alternative and just other groups just get out there and say, Look, maybe you haven't seen this before now, but this is not, you know, this is a result of a bigger system. It's not just, oops, there's a pandemic. All of a sudden, everything went to, you know, like you were barely surviving before this. Right. 
And this is what pushed it over the edge. And, and right. do you, do we really want to have a system that's that fragile, no, um, you know? And, and so that's an opportunity. I don't think anybody's happy about it. Nobody's happy that the opportunity exists. We would much prefer that people were safe and healthy and had a job and were able to make a living, but the situation is what it is. And it's an, op it's, it provides, and this is going to, this is going to change tens of millions of people's, you know, uh, 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 thinking about these things. Mm -hmm. And somebody has to be there to give them an explanation that's a correct explanation. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, like you said, what's what it's going to get filled with instead is some kind of a conspiracy theory about God knows what, right? Like, you know, uh, COVID was sent to the U.S. specifically to destroy it so that the Chinese government could, you know, I mean, like stuff that I. Ridiculous stuff. Yeah. Right. Like stuff that's like, okay, I mean, maybe, well, you know, maybe it came out of a lab somehow, but like, who knows, but that's not even important. Right. Because it's like, we shouldn't be in a system where it falls apart this way. Right. In response to a manageable pandemic that most other countries have figured out how to manage. Right. Or, I mean, that's, that's one element, which I think is a much smaller one, but I think what the, what the other element is, what we saw uh, a phrase that was coined by Naomi Klein, you know, disaster capitalism, Yeah. you know, like they took advantage of the hurricane and, 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 and hurricane Katrina in New Orleans to, to move in a hundred percent charter school system. Well, I mean, Yes, absolutely. The disaster part is is terrible, and like we shouldn't utilize it, but it does lay the groundwork for us to actually right. advocate for what we really need in the wake of this. Yep. This is something that happened, and it was a failure by the Democrats. It's a failure by the Republicans. Um, it's and and both locally, I would argue, and also yeah. uh, uh, nationally. And that um, what we should be advocating for is things that already existed. For example, in the education uh, uh, struggle, you know, we would have been in a better place if the demands that the teachers put forth in October, which were nurses in every school, less people in the classrooms, um, uh, hiring more, um, having more libraries. If, if those demands were put in place in October 2019, um, were actually won and, and actually were implemented, we would have been in a very different case uh, now that we're starting school on, on Tuesday. Um, you know, not to say that the class, the classes would have been small, we would have had more teachers, you know, to kind of like be able to supplement that type of thing. Or ventilation in classrooms is a demand that has been around for quite some time, um, which is now a, a, a necessity. Funding, you know, the, the, the funding demand, we, we hear Lori Lightfoot saying stuff to the scale of um, uh, economically neutral plan. And it's just like, well, if we're gonna say neutral, then we have to take into account that we were economically under spending on public education last year, you know? So how are we, how are we maintaining spending the same amount? We actually have more needs now than we did last year. We have more specific needs, you know? And like, what, what are we going into? Uh, a bunch of kids who don't have um, um, computers or don't, you know, or need for 
uh, municipal internet, you know? Like, why is Comcast and AT&T, why are they uh, able to capitalize off of, or even capitalize PR-wise, you know, because they gave away those free free internet, which were three megabits, which is nothing um, in the scheme of what they could give. because they want you to do schoolwork, but they don't want you to do, to do Netflix on their on their uh, on their free internet, right? Um, but it's 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 we sh- you know we should be struggling for these things that could benefit work people. As far as I'm concerned, internet, for example, is a demand, is a utility as much as gas is, as much as you know um, water is. I mean, it's 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 educational, it's communication as we're on it right now. Yeah. Um, it's um, work related. Sometimes it's the, the the difference between somebody being able to file an application and not. I mean, it should be a utility. That's a demand that um, we could win in the wake of a COVID. So yeah, I, I agree with you. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's okay. So um, I'd like to close just by saying, okay. So this has been incredibly interesting and fun to talk to you, and and I hope we keep talking both on and off the podcast um and then i guess i just want to ask you to tell the listener like if they're interested in finding out more about the ideas and the the organization we've been talking about the the socialist alternative i know the website's pretty easy socialistalternative.org right um and there are then there's a list of like local you know uh chapters in different cities and you know towns and things you can look at and um sign up for different things um so there's that um is there other things you'd like to tell people about how they can get um involved in this organization or books that you think people well first of all you can say any books or articles or things that you think people might find interesting now and then after the show if you want you can also shoot me a short email and just like list stuff and we can add it in the show notes or something if you think you know for for things yeah. that you think it's really good for people to to read as and i'm thinking more kind of like introductory stuff right like somebody who maybe is on the edge yeah, yeah. and yeah. maybe would get involved a little bit but you know yeah. but they need a little bit of information or they need that extra like here's what we're actually trying to do right yeah. um so if you could just kind of if we could if we could yeah so get into that and uh, basically just end the show with, with that information and, and yeah, um, sure. your thoughts uh, on that. Socialsalternative.org is the primary uh, U.S. site. Um, if you are, I know, I know I've talked to you about having listeners that are on an international scale. We are uh, internationalsocialist.net um, uh, as well, which, you know, we're on every continent. And I think in 33 countries um i think it's uh, so yeah we're uh those are the two if you're in chicago um we've we have uh instagram which is just chicago socialist alternative um and also facebook um same name with spaces uh so you can you can find us on both of of those and you can get in contact with us via both of those uh the article i think that is most prominent that we're putting for is probably the the how the, the role of the working class in fighting racism article which i'll send you the link to awesome great yeah um it's a very very preliminary kind of uh approach uh to you know uh 
how working class people can can struggle for racism, struggle against racism, um, and and for uh, improving the quality of life of, of working people. Uh, so that would be like probably me, probably my go-to article. And then there's also um, the other article I think I would suggest is the 2020 um, article, a historical indictment of capitalism. <laughs> 2020, uh, those, those would be the two articles I'll send to you to kind of put cool. in there. Yeah, great. Um, also, I mean, uh, since outside is kind of open, we are, uh, you might run into us at a uh, train station. So I've been at like the 18th Pink Line. Um, we just we just set up a table and we talk to people. And um, so, you know, there are areas and so, like, if somebody wanted to reach out and they wanted to 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 meet us in a in a high um, traffic area, uh, you know, if they were like, "Hey, I heard the thing, and here's a good street to meet at, and and I would like to just converse with somebody like you out there," that's something that we do because our politics are are rooted in talking to working people. So yeah, and um, you can, and these days, I mean, you can figure out a way to you know to meet people and still you know you can be out in a park and still do the social distancing thing or whatever and be safe about it so yeah Yeah. great well thank you so much for being on this was really an honor and thank you for being i mean um there's also a speech that you gave i forgot to mention that you mentioned it earlier there's a speech you gave at um a protest or a rally really uh um it was the justice for around the george yeah the justice for george floyd yeah and and um and we can put a link to that also so people yeah, can see that. Yeah, that's, that's also um, on the Chicago Socialist Alternative page. So yeah. yeah, so if you can see, if, and I, I'll either, you know, find those things or if you want to send them to me, that's fine I'll, too. And I'll we'll put it, we'll put it in the show notes so people can can have a look at it and check it out. And um, also we discussed a bunch of activists and authors and things th- throughout the, the show so people can look into that for themselves as well. Um, well, thank you so much for, being on and taking thanks the time. All right. Uh, thanks to everyone. Um, uh, I guess I'm going to just wrap up the show by saying, you know, if you enjoy this, um, there are other episodes. This is episode number seven. Um, you can subscribe, like, etc. We're on, or we, there, there's no we, it's just a podcast. Um, we're <laughs> the podcast is on pretty much all the podcasts platforms at this point um if you're interested in being on or if you have ideas or feedback uh feel free to shoot me an email at hanging question marks at gmail.com um and yeah thank you for listening and um hopefully you'll have another podcast for you next week bye